Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Good morning, Journey Church. Everyone awake, alive. We've got the family worship going on, and I just want you to know if you're new here, uh, we do this once a month because we love the family. If you can't tell, we are excited about the family because God loves the family. Amen. So welcome all of you kids. I hope you follow along with me. I'll try to make sure that the, the teaching is seasoned with salt for you as well for the adults. Um, but we welcome you here, and we are excited about that. All right. Um, surprise, for some of you that come here normally, I am not Jim or Tyler. I know that we might look similar, but exact. No, I think we, we didn't fool you. I am different. My name is Kyle Peart. Um, I am not new to this church, um, but on and off we've been coming here for about five years, all right? Um, but for those of you that know, that are new here today, know that I am not the original teacher. So I pray that you do not hold the teaching today or judge the church based on me, okay? We welcome you back. Jim will teach next week, all right, and it'll be normal, but we thought we'd shake things up with a new guy today. Um, so welcome. Again, this is not my first time teaching, but I am, this is my first time teaching at Journey Church, all right? Um, for the last five years, we've been on and off been coming here. For the first two years, we attended. And then God called us to the Goshen Church. If some of you are familiar with that church and have been praying for them and, and seen kind of what God's been doing there, um, we ministered over there for about two years, and then God called us back here, and we've been here for a year now. And we just recently became members, and so now we are officially Christians. If you didn't know, I am a Christian now because I am a member at Journey Church. No. All jokes aside, a, a little background about myself my wife uh, and I, Eli and Kyle Peart, um, we have five crazy girls that if you've ever hung out here after the sanctuary, you will see them running full sprint back inside. Yes, those are my girls. I claim them, and they're a joy. But that is my family, and that's, um, that's us that comes to Journey Church now. So we've been coming here on and off, and, and uh, so Jim and Tyler finally asked if I could do a teaching. And I think that part of it is a witty, hilarious type of humor that these guys have. If you don't know them, they have a mischievous type of humor. Um, a few weeks ago, one of them came up to me and said, hey, are you ready to teach? And I said, yeah, sure, yeah, let's jump up there. And they said, all right, cool. We'll let you know in a week or so um, what teaching you're going to do. And so I went home, I was praying, and I was reading through Matthew 5. We've been going through Matthew 5 for a, a little bit now, going through verse by verse. And so I got all pumped because I started counting it out. And we, we were coming up to Matthew 16, and I was like, yes, I've got it. They, they must have planned this because I'm an evangelist. I run a ministry on evangelism and apologetics, and so I was getting really pumped up. I was like, man, they really figured this out, right? This is what it was about. And so I started chewing on it. Next week comes by, Tyler's like, all right, we've got it figured out. Um, we're going to be having you teach on 17 through 20. And I was like, ugh, wait, I thought I had it figured out. And he was like, no, the, the time schedule is going to work out that way. And so I was like, yes, all right, cool, I'll teach. But inside I was crying because I was like, there are so many people in the church 
that could execute a good, righteous teaching, a savory teaching of this teaching. And if some of you know Scott, he probably could have nailed this way better than me today. But there are people that could have hit this today. And so I was thinking about it and I was praying. The more I thought about it, I realized this is not about me. I didn't come up here to tell you guys about how awesome I have things figured out and how awesome I can divide the word of God and you're like, man, that guy knows how to teach the word. It's not about me. It's about God. And it's about what he has done and has said. Amen? So that's what we're going to chew on today. Um, a little history about this on why it hits personally for me is because this is the foundation of the gospel. If some of you are uh, knowledgeable and know what the gospel is, and I would pray that you do, the gospel has a very simple and yet profound foundation. All right? The more I thought about this, I was thinking about my BC days. That's called before Christ. If some of you know, I call them my BC days. This was um, a time back, if you met me in 2007, I was a man that, that was very proud in my life. Okay, I looked at myself and I polished myself and I made sure that everyone that met me had this high view of myself, that I followed the rules and I was a good guy, I got good grades, I did lots of good things. But on the inside, I was desperately wicked. Okay, I prided myself in these things because it was a double life and I was very good at making sure that everyone on the outside saw who I was but on the inside, only I knew who I was. I was a guy that broke the rules, broke the law, and made the law into something that it wasn't for myself, my own standard. I remember one specific time, a very specific time, that when I was driving down Oracle Road, I was carrying some drugs with me. And I was doing illegal activities all the time, but I didn't let anyone out here know what I was doing. Because again, I was living this double life. And so I was driving down Oracle, I had some friends with me in this car, and I was speeding, and I wasn't paying attention because it was the middle of the night, it's dark on Oracle Road, and uh, I was just cruising along, going 15 over the speed limit, but no one was around, so there was no way no one was going to see what I was doing. Then instantly I saw these lights coming towards me, head on. And I was like, oh, it's just some random person driving, doing the same thing as me. And as soon as we crossed, it was a cop. And what was the first thing I did? I slammed on my brakes. Because instantly I knew I was caught. I was speeding, but I didn't want him to catch what was really going on. Okay? So I slammed on my brakes, and this cop immediately flashes the lights, and he's got my attention now. He U-turns, and he comes up behind me, and he pulls over. Everything immediately, immediately hit me and consumed me because I knew Something on the inside, inside my car, right, was going to be exposed. But ultimately, my heart, everything that I had been hiding and convincing everyone out here what was going on, was really going to be exposed. And so I felt really humble in that moment. Maybe some of you didn't have a circumstance like that in your life, or maybe haven't interacted with the law that way, but we all have a perception of the law. We all have a view and an outlook of how we see the law, and it interprets and dictates how we live our life, okay? So that's what brings us our text today is Matthew 5, we've been going along, and we're at verse 17 now. 
Go with me, and we're going to read this text, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about the law. Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for bringing all of us, every individual here today. God, we want to know you. And I think that I can speak for everyone in here that when they come here, that's what they're looking for, God, is you. If they're coming for anything else, it doesn't make sense. So God, I pray that your word would go forth and penetrate hearts today, God, in a way that they can understand, a way that they comprehend and, and find true trust and hope in you. I pray that anything else apart from you, God, is dismissed and rejected, but that people would be honored to know and follow you. I pray that I can articulate exactly what your word says today and it would magnify your son, Father, that it would be about your business and not my own. And so we lift you up, we trust you in this, in this text, and I pray that I honor you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so reading through this text, there's so much here. And that's why I was timid when they told me about this, because if any of you first think about the law, you're like, there's so many directions we can go, and we don't have five hours. I mean, maybe some of you are really dedicated and, like, want to sit here, and we'll just chew on the law, right? But we don't have enough time to really get through this. So it's like, how do we, how do we manage enough time to really articulate the facts on here? But some of you have a head start. We went through a study on the atonement series. Are a lot of you guys familiar with that? Are you remembering the stuff we chewed on? You have a head start because we went through so many illustrations from the beginning about what the atonement was and bringing us to exactly where we are today with the Messiah talking to us now, telling us exactly what's going on. So you've got this head start, right? But for the sake of not canceling your, your lunch plans and me not absorbing all of your time today, we're going to hit on two major points, all right? These are the two major points we're going to hit on. The first one is, what is the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of it? And then the second is, can I fulfill it? Answering it for yourself. You personally, can you fulfill this law, this purpose? All right, so looking back at verse 17, it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Do not think this. Why is Christ first starting out with, with saying, do not think these things? And it's because we're immediately thinking it. It's a natural tendency within the heart of man, within all of us, in, in mankind, to, to be aggressive towards the law of God. It's a natural core um, 
opposition, that we stand against the law and say, I don't like this thing. And so when he starts talking about the law, when you hear the law, it's that perception that you start to question it. So we have this natural tendency. Ever since birth, because of Adam's sin, we are offended at standards that point out our failures. They draw a line and say, when you cross this line, you are not right. You have done something wrong. And anyone in here, when, you, when you're told you're wrong, there's an immediate reaction in you, like, don't tell me I'm wrong, right? You get this emotion and it's stirred, and then you react from there, and everyone reacts differently. But by nature, no one likes the law. The word there is kataluo, abolish. We want to abolish this law, which means to destroy, demolish, or overthrow it. We want to reject it and say, I don't like this thing. It's offensive, it agitates, it irritates, right? But Jesus, he says, au contraire. He says, we're not going to abolish this. Why? He says, I have not come to abolish it, but fulfill it. Fulfill these laws and the prophets. So Jesus tells us quite literally, I've come to do exactly the opposite of what you expected me to do. So not only were you thinking this, I'm going to go the opposite direction because I have a purpose. I have an, a big plan, a big scheme on these things. So the first question in my heart when I think about these things is, isn't Jesus for the people? He's coming, right? And he's going to set us free. And so there's this immediate reaction of, okay, well, that's why we thought you were going to abolish it, because we just want to be set free from this law, right? Wouldn't Jesus want things better for me? And wouldn't he want, want whatever points out what's wrong about me? Wouldn't he want that dismissed? Wouldn't he want it gone? All this negativity. Doesn't he want me to feel better about myself? Doesn't he want me to get rid of all this negativity? And that's a perception that we have of the laws as if it's negative. All right? Isn't the law quite so negative in our point of view that it's a serious burden? And it becomes this heavy weight if any of you are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, you'll see this giant backpack getting on the back of Christian because he's carrying this burden and he's just so overburdened with this thing and he's just struggling as he's working. This is how we see the law. And that brings us to our first point in question, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose is that Jesus made the law, he made it, he himself created the law, and he made it to lead us to him. Okay? So first things first is we declare Jesus is God. So when we see the law, we have to recognize that he's the one that created it because the law comes from God. Both, he, he's the God both of the Old and New Testament. And if we're thinking that Jesus coming into the New Testament, I've met a lot of people this way, we view the New Testament as this image of this person that comes in and, and removes all this old, uh, crazy, bully, bad guy in the Old Testament. And he releases us from this bully, and he sets us free, right? And that's how we observe it. So New Testament, Jesus comes, and, and he's here to set us free from this bully. But that's not the truth. And we're missing the picture if when we went through the, old, the, the atonement series of what exactly Jesus was doing through that Old Testament, through his prophets and the law. 
In the atonement series, we looked at illustration after illustration, example, example after example of how God was leading us to this very moment with Jesus in our presence, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, in our presence, always pointing to him. And we're here now. We're learning about him in Matthew 5, and now he's talking. So Jesus, that God that designed the law, just as he said in Genesis, in the very beginning, he says in the narration of creation that he made things good. Right? And even to cap that, when he rested, he said that it was very good, perfect, complete. So when we observe the law, we have to observe it that it is very good. It's complete, and it has a purpose. So good that it's important we point out, he emphasizes in verse 18, not an iota, not a dot. If some of you uh, King Jamesers in here, uh, which I read the King James for a long time, it says not a jot or a tittle. And that's always popped in my head because those words just don't sound normal. What is a jot or a tittle? So I had to research that, and my wife will tell you, she's, she's very good at, at pointing out and helping me that I am grammatically challenged in my life. I don't understand structure of sentences, and I, Lord, I pray the Lord really helps me with that. Um, but ultimately, when you look at a, a, a dot, an iota, this tittle, what it is is compiled in the language, in the Hebrew language, essentially there's words with these strokes of the pen, and one stroke changes everything. Just like in the English language, if you ever seen like those funny memes about uh, like eating, I can't remember the joke, but essentially if you add a comma, it says comma save lives. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying even the comma matters that I put in my law. Every dot, every period, every stroke, every brush has a purpose. So stop trying to perceive that it wasn't there for a purpose and that it's not meant for a purpose. I made it good and I made it very good. All right? So when he, when, he, when he says this, he says I made it good and he says nothing will pass until everything's accomplished. And so when we get that immediately in my heart, I might be speaking for some of you, but I, I hear that, okay, accomplished, that means it's going to pass then. So Jesus, when are you going to remove this law? Let's just get to the point, right? Hurry up and get rid of this big bad guy law. It's beating me up, and it's always making me feel bad. But that's an improper reading here, because when you look at accomplished, he says it, it, it will pass. It will move forward, or we're moving on, or we're going by it. It doesn't mean that it's going to be removed. It means that it will be accomplished. It will be fulfilled. And this is what Jesus declares to us, is I'm not going to get rid of this thing. I'm not going to diminish it, but I'm going to complete it. Okay? He's not going to move past it until we've come to fruition on what the point of it is. And that means, and I'm going to read this specifically, that means that our God, Jesus Christ, designed the law so perfectly, so acutely, exactly necessary, and with such precision and purpose that every individual aspect, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is an absolute non-negotiable which cannot be neglected or left undone lest the law be incomplete. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Let me say it one more time because I think this is the pivotal point of what Jesus is talking about. This means that our God, Jesus Christ, designed the law. He designed it so perfectly, 
so acutely, exactly necessary, with such precision and purpose that every individual aspect, beginning to end, every jot and tittle, no matter how seemingly insignificant, even the comma, is an absolute non-negotiable which cannot be neglected or left undone lest the law be incomplete, then it wouldn't have served its purpose, and he wouldn't have made it very good. So as a sinner, when I read this and I think about this, I'm not a fan of this level of unwavering standard. I start to, that burden starts to get bigger, right? And then my flesh sums it up in one word, burden. This is what I carry all the time when I evaluate myself against standards, a burden. The whole keep the law thing is a serious burden. But then I remember Jesus made the law. He made it, and Jesus is good, so we've made the law. He's made the law because he's good. You see where I'm tracking you moving with me? Which then must mean the burdensome law must somehow be good. That law must be good. So let's keep going on as we move on in verse 19. He says, whoever relaxes and whoever does them. There's this contrast moving back and forth. Whoever doesn't do them and whoever holds uh, other people to not do them and teaches them not to do them or relaxes on these things. But then he says others that do do these things, right? So Jesus drives the point even further, saying every word, every dot of the law has a purpose, and they're important, and you will be in the kingdom of God doing them. And so you start carrying this burden even more, right? So you're like, okay, good. We're talking about salvation, so he's talking about the law. So now we're following it as if we're going to gain salvation according to the law. And you're trying to track this, and he's appealing to these people at this time. We're going over the law, see how the law is, what the law does, how it fulfills. So we must be talking about how to be saved. And this is why I said it was core, fundamental, fundamental, and and important on how we understand today because this is the foundation of the gospel. If we, keep, if we keep the law leading to salvation, then that's a good thing and it's worth devoting our lives to, right? But just when we're starting to think those things and our heart's starting to lead this specific direction and we're like, okay, the law, the law, the law, it's good, it's good, it's good, he made it this way, right? Then we start to worship the law and that's the opposite of what it was intended to do. Because remember, the purpose of the law isn't to obsess over it and worship it. The purpose of the law is to lead us to Jesus. That's the purpose. So you got to remember the context here. Jesus is up on this mountainside. He's teaching the masses, right? He's talking to all these people. And the Jews of, the, of their time, they've been taught the biblical do's and don'ts their whole life. Their culture was totally different than ours today. And they were illustrating and talking about the laws of God every day. So these people are not foreign to these things. They have a perception, just like we do, of the law out there, the, the man's law out there and the moral law and these laws written on our heart. They have this law built inside their hearts and their culture and their foundation. And then they see this man teaching with biblical authority. He comes in and he talks and he's, he's confident and so they're like, okay, he's talking about all these laws. Tell me what I got to do. And he leads us in through blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those that are persecuted for my namesake. Your reward will be great in heaven. So a lot of these people are hearing this thing and their ears tickled and they go, ah, all the things I got to do. You gave me a checklist. Thank you. 
Thank you for illustrating it for me because at least in my nature, when I hear the law, I go, okay, just tell me what I got to do. I remember when I was evangelizing at the Super Bowl one time, this uh, off-duty police officer came up to me, which was an interesting conversation. But he got to a point where he was so agitated by everything that I was sharing with him about the gospel. And I remember him mockingly saying it. But it was a very instrumental part of our conversation. He said, just tell me what I got to do. Tell me it. Give me the checklist. I'll check it off. Yeah, just, okay, yeah, so I can be called saved. Because you're out here condemning me, saying that uh, if I don't believe in you, then I'm going to go to eternal punishment. He's like, so tell me what I got to do. And that's what we do is we hear this law and we say, okay, please, just tell me. Just get it over with so that I can, so I can get to work. I need to get on. I move, need to move on, right? But then, this is the peak of it all. This is what Jesus gets to, all right? So all these people are like, how do I gain salvation? How do I get to this point? Verse 20, right here. He says, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Exceed it, or you will never enter the kingdom of God. Boom. What a mic drop. He's building all of this case. And then he says, now you need to go even further and exceed that of these righteous people. Exceed that. Could you imagine following this teaching? Could you imagine in, like thinking about this, sitting on this hillside and being so, so interested in what he has to say? And you're like trying to gain salvation, trying to do these works. And then he puts this giant stumbling block in front of your face and says, now you've got to do better than the people that look like they're doing great. This is a huge point, and no one saw it. Yep, you got to be poor in spirit. You got to know how to mourn. You've got to be meek. These are all things naturally hard for me in my first place. But not only that, now I've got to hunger for righteousness, I've got to give mercy, and I've got to be better than them at all these things. Better than the ultra-righteous people of their day. Because that's what they were, right? If you are familiar with Matthew, later on in chapter 23, Jesus has some very direct things to say to, Jesus, to, to the Pharisees. He builds this case against them and says, you hypocrites, you walk in and you wear these giant hats and you wear these fancy robes and you've got the best table in the house when you're eating. You are the ultra-righteous people. You are the rock stars of today. And when you walk in, everyone trembles and they're like, wow, these are clean people. They are so close to God. And so when you see that, you're like, how am I going to get past that? How am I going to exceed that righteousness? How are people going to see me as if I'm not a fool? I'm not a shame. I'm despicable compared to them, right? Is this even possible to exceed past them? But that conclusion, Journey Church, is the exact opposite of what we've been learning in verse 9. You see, all the incredible truths that Jim and Tyler have been talking about this flourishing or this blessedness, they haven't been building this checklist for us to measure how far we've come or how far we still have to go to attain sainthood or be called Christians. That isn't the point. If you are not doing 
100% of the blesseds, the beatitudes, if you're evaluating yourself saying, well, I guess I'm not a Christian yet because I have not done those well, you've just joined my group. That's where I'm at. To ask, what will it take for me to have this blessed life? That's been the purpose the whole time, is to convict and direct us and lead us to Christ. This whole be more righteous than the Pharisee, it, it seems, this stuff seems to be clear and fulfill the law and do it perfectly, which brings us to the second and final point, okay? I promise, I'm drawing a, a picture here. This is the crucial eternal life and death situation right now, and I pray everyone in this room, kids and adults, think about this circumstance. Because when you get to this point, can I fulfill the law? Are you asking that internally? God, how do, I, how do I fulfill this righteousness that exceeds that of these awesome rock star people? How do I get past that? And the answer is you can't. It's impossible. In Galatians 3.10, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. It's a curse. And then in James 2.10, tells us, for whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. Can anyone affiliate with that? I know I do. So to really flesh this point out, I encourage everyone in here to go read Galatians. Read the whole book. But focus in on chapter 3 and read the whole thing, because I wanted to go verse by verse through there, but we're going through Matthew, but it draws such this perfect illustration right with what we're reading today in your own personal study. So go home and read that. But there's this crucial point where Paul is driving that we must abide by the law. You have to abide by this law because it's good, and it was designed with a purpose, okay? So let's not dismiss it. But because we're not capable of abiding by it, because everyone inside is saying, well, that's a burden, I've failed, what do we do? We're cursed. And even if we're capable of doing it from here on out, it's too late because we've already done something in the past, which means we're still cursed. A burden. And then in Galatians 3.13, Paul flips the script and says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is where I start to get excited. This is where my heart starts to come alive and my ears start to, to, to tingle a little bit because I'm thinking I'm overwhelmed with this, 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 Ill, this instruction that I have to follow the law. And I know that it's a curse and I will be cursed because that's what the, the consistent reading of the text says. But then Paul flips that and he says, no, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So my natural tendency is to work, 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 right? Do, do, do. Do the text, do the checklist, do these things. And then looking at the law, I see people often respond in a couple different ways. And this is a perception. This is where our hearts go, right? Some of us are offended by God's law. It irritates us. This is what I was talking about in the beginning. We want to destroy it, and we actively fight against it. C.S. Lewis put it this way. People make excuses for not keeping the law of God, which is proof how deeply they believe in the law of God. When we come up with excuses and say, I can't meet this standard, we get offended by it and say that whole standard's wrong. 
which perfectly illustrates that we know we've done wrong. You guys tracking with me there? This, of course, puts us in an, illog an illogical camp of believing we somehow become more moral than God himself who designed morality. Perhaps we've taken a more relaxed view of God's word and say we can't take it that serious. It really didn't mean that or it was for that time, but it doesn't really work today because of the cultures that are different. And Jesus is love, right? He's this hippie guru, all-loving, peace-loving Jesus guy, which means that those things, he doesn't like to draw lines, which, as a matter of fact, he did draw a line. He brought a sword. But we're the ones making the rules because we reevaluate his and say, well, he didn't really mean what he said. And at least we can't allow him to draw these rules because we need to meet our own by default. So we draw our own lines. And I want to question all of the kids in this room, if you've thought about that, because I might have lost you at this point, I dare you to go home, and when your parents say to clean your room, you go in and pick up one toy and put it away and say, that's cleaning my room, and see how well it goes by redesigning your law. Okay? It's not going to go well for you. I, I'm only teasing you. Don't do it because it won't end well. <laughs> On the flip side, we go to the other extreme, not only enforcing the law, but we add to the law and we say not only this, like Eve, not only can we not eat it, don't even touch it. Don't even, don't even look at it, right? And we exceed it and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to so far pass this like the Pharisees that I'm going to build my own law. And that's going to prove to everyone that I'm really that awesome. I'm that good. So we add regulations, and we over-regulate over and over, creating a wider chasm between us and God, taking us further away from God's intent of the very law that he designed good, thus further from the nature of him himself. We're making the law something that never was, just a rule to be followed rather than a spirit to embody just like the other two scenarios, we attempt to make God subject to us. But despite our nature to trip and fall over the law, it wasn't designed to be a stumbling block or a distraction. And this is where I'm going to start landing it, I promise. Because just like the kids last week were talking about the narrow path, the dads that were in there, you remember us talking about that and seeing the kids, this light about the difference between the broad path and the narrow path. This law was supposed to bring us back and bring us to this narrow path and pay attention. Start, start paying attention. Go the right way. It's pointing to Jesus. Go, go, with, go with me to uh, Galatians 3.24. Turn with me there real quick, or I'll read it if I get a head start on you guys. Galatians 3.24 says, um, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So some of your Bibles might say schoolmaster, teacher, guardian was uh, like a mirror designed to reflect exactly what was reality before you. When you wake up and you stand before the mirror or you go have a hard day at work and you go into the bathroom to clean up, 
before you look at the mirror, you're like, oh, I look, I look a little rough, right? I need to clean myself up. So you grab soap and you grab things that will clean you up, but you don't grab the mirror. Any of you in here grabbed the mirror and tried to polish yourself and clean the mud off of you? It doesn't work. And that's what we're doing with the law. And God says right here in Galatians that the law was not meant for that. It was meant to point and show you the issue, but was never meant to clean you up. Even further, let's, let's land the point here on Romans Chapter 8 in uh, verse 1, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that, brothers and sisters, is the bottom line. This is where we land this plane. The bottom line is this. The blessedness of the law is that it is revealing the mercy and grace of a holy and righteous God. It's pointing out his righteousness, not your own. The law was never intended for you to evaluate if you are righteous or not. It's meant to point that you are not righteous, and he is. I like how Martin Luther said this. At an early time, there was no pleasure in the law for me. But now I find that the law is good and tasty. That it has been given to me so that I might live, and now I find my pleasure in it. Earlier, it told me that I ought, what I ought to do. Now I begin to adapt myself to it. And for this, I praise and worship and serve God. This is what the law was intended to do. It was meant to show the heart. And Jim is going to talk about this in the next couple weeks. And he's going to illustrate what the law does and how it, it illustrates how we fail on the outside. But then it goes straight for the heart of the matter. Where does our heart stand before the law? Because it's not about do, do, do out here and polishing yourself and making yourself look better and put on the high hat and look like the Pharisees. It's meant to point out that you cannot ever become righteous. Like me, when I ran into the law, it revealed the harsh reality of who I was. And it was a pivotal point in my life that I realized I wasn't God. I never told myself that I was God, but I thought it by always trying to design my own way to look good. It took about a year after that, but I remember sitting in my first Bible study. My wife could tell you about this point because it was huge in my life. We fought all the way, and we wanted to go to this Bible study, but we U-turned, and we got in huge fights on the way to this Bible study because I knew it would convict me. I ended up making it to this Bible study, and we ended up separating. The girls went this way, and the guys went this way some, for some reason. And the guys started to tell me about how the law, this thing that I always built up as if I needed to, to make myself match up to it, that it was never meant for that. And that in 2 Corinthians 5, we become new creations. God doesn't tell us to do better. He doesn't say, you failed, surprise, do better. No, he says, 
He says, um, you need to be made renew. You need to be born again. That's why I love the, the scriptures we went through this morning about God so loving us and making us new creations. This was a pivotal point in me because they pointed out in 2 Corinthians that he became sin who knew no sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. See, folks, when we read that, when we read the law, we see that the law was never designed for that. And that is the gospel. That is the core and base of what I stand on and what we as Christians should stand on is that when we recognize I cannot fulfill this, I, I, I can't stand it, it irritates me, but God, I want to change my perception on how I see this. And then he does that because when we recognize it's our heart that's the issue, God starts to stir it. And then you'll start to be able to understand how it is to be a blessing and a flourishing to be meek and to hunger for that righteousness because he does the work inside of our heart. That's the gospel. That Jesus, knowing that we could never match or fulfill that law or polish ourselves up enough, being God came down and sacrificed for the unlovable. Sacrificed for the ones that could not do it. And that's it. And we can rest in that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are so good. God, you are so good to illustrate so many ways to trust in you. And we overcomplicate it. We make it so difficult, God. We, we have so many perceptions of the ways that we need to build up our temples and come to you like the Tower of Babel, Lord, and you just destroy it because you want to break us, God. You want to strip us of ourselves and be more about you because that's what it comes to at the end of the day, God. It's more of you and less of me. Your righteousness, not my own. God, thank you for, for coming today to teach us how we can know you. And anyone that struggles with that, Lord, anyone that's in these different perceptions, I pray that they would surrender that today, God, and they would give you their heart and say, I no longer, like the hymn says, simply to the cross I cling, nothing in my hands I bring. This is how we come to you, God, empty and lonely and afraid, and you give us hope. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.